too much how have you enjoyed your uh your all-star break well it's been chaotic that's for sure it's been a lot of fun uh not as chaotic as the sacramento kings front office no but i mean like sunday night i'm thinking it's a it's a night off just kind of you know throw a couple lowry and DeRozan highlights up then first we get the scare of kyle lowry's entire right arm being wrapped in this giant ice bandage um turns out he's fine nobody worry he came back into the game uh, and then the DeMarcus Cousins stuff starts to go down, and I'm like, man, if the Raptors are involved in this, I might have too much of a buzz on here to uh, to handle this capably, because it was a long weekend. I didn't expect that to go down. There's supposed to be this cone of silence around All-Star Weekend rumors. No, this is this is when it all happens, apparently. And when the Sacramento Kings are involved, it could all happen whenever, no matter what you've been told, you know, 20 minutes ago, apparently. Yeah, well, we know that Vladdy had very good seats for the Rising Stars Challenge in which Buddy Heald played, you know, his first good game as a professional. Uh, so it's nice that Vladdy got to check that out, and that, that sealed the deal. Uh, we don't need to talk a ton about DeMarcus Cousins being traded to the New Orleans Pelicans because it does not have a very uh, pronounced impact on the Toronto Raptors. The hey, I'm going to be on that trip uh, where they're in New Orleans. I'm really excited. There you go. Is that okay. the one where you also get a couple days off? That weird five-game trip with a gap in it? I don't get days off. I have to strenuously cover practices. This you have like... non-game days. Yes. And hype, and conceivably, one of those three practice days, they'll be off. Well, I'm not flying. Like They, they will not practice the Sunday, because that's after a back-to-back. So that's the day I'm flying there. So, okay. so short of getting to write about Cousins and Davis... <laughs> This doesn't have much of an impact on the Toronto Raptors. They're in the Western Conference. Life's great. Pardon? Life's great. Yeah. Uh, th- I guess there are two big, in- two minor impacts to the Toronto Raptors here with the DeMarcus Cousins deal, which we'll uh, – let's t- touch on them now because the Raptors made their own deal that we have to talk about. Um, so the big one for me is that given the assets that could potentially have come in play for DeMarcus Cousins – the big thing for Raptor fans is that DeMarcus Cousins did not get traded to the Boston Celtics uh, because you just can't give up Terry Rozier for DeMarcus Cousins, right? <laughs> no, that guy's untouchable, uh, as as you've seen a lot of in the, for the main Red Claws. Is that their name? I can't believe you knew the Boston Celtics D-League affiliate. Oh, that's like literally the only game, D-League game I went to last year was the was the home opener, 905 versus Red Claw, versus Red Claws. Damn. And Terry, well, uh, yeah. pretty, I'm pretty sure Terry Rozier played in that game. Almost definitely. And uh, he would have been out there with Jordan Mickey, probably. Sure. Yeah. Um, so he did not go to the Boston Celtics. The Celtics Celtics fans are probably in a similar place to some of the Raptors fans that I saw Sunday night um, tweeting or commenting. Um, it got to be a little bit of a mess. You know, I, I've had enough of people calling Masai Ujiri a wimp or a coward. Uh, he literally just traded for Serge Ibaka on Tuesday, like, yeah. like not what, even a week ago yet. What um, have you done for me today? Yeah. So the issue here for not just Raptors and Celtics fans, but I, I imagine 29 fan bases around the NBA, is that the Kings only got back. The Kings gave up not only DeMarcus Cousins, but Omri Caspi, who, while problematic is, as a non-basketball 
player is uh, a, a, quite a good basketball player and apparently a good friend of DeMarcus Cousins, so nice to, to get him in the deal. Uh, they got back in return Langston Galloway, who will probably get waived, uh, Tyreek Evans, who's mostly there for salary matching, uh, and if he's waived, uh, a lot of contenders will probably sniff around him as a bench piece. Um, Buddy Heald, who is... Yeah. Buddy Heald, who is uh, the main piece in this deal, uh, he is 23 years old as a rookie and not even remotely in the Rookie of the Year conversation, despite the Pelicans being like woefully thin at the guard and wing spots all season long. Uh, that tells you a little bit about where he is in his development. One pick that is, for whatever reason, the, the Pelicans were able to get top three protection on this pick. Not that the Pelicans are likely to get down there, but there's a percentage chance if they don't make the playoffs that this pick would land in the top three and it's protected uh, and a second round pick. So you look at this, it's basically uh, a pick in the 30s, a pick that will come somewhere in the 10 to 20 range in a good draft, and Buddy Heald, who does not look like an elite prospect for DeMarcus Cousins. So there are fan bases around the NBA, Raptors included, who look at this and, yeah, the Raptors could have beat that deal. The issue here, Eric, and maybe you feel differently, is that when it comes to the Sacramento Kings, objectivity goes out the window. Yeah, I mean, they just, <laughs> I mean, we've tried to figure out the Kings, we being the collective NBA intelligentsia uh, for, for a while now. And I'm, uh, I'm not sure there's a sort of a cohesive worldview that uh, captures all there is to capture around the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the one thing that the Kings or the Pelicans did have that the Raptors didn't is more expiring, a, a bigger expiring contract. Like the only one that the Raptors conceivably could have thrown in there is Patrick Patterson. And he is, well, for one thing, good at basketball. And two, the contract is smaller. Other than that, they didn't really have any other expiring contracts, which I guess was important to Sacramento because, you know, they're going to be attracting all these guys in free agency now. you got to chase Rajon Rondo, Costa Kufus, and Aaron Aflalo so you can turn around and let them walk away for free or try to trade them immediately. Yeah, yeah I mean, again, trying to figure out, you know, even why they decided that this was the time to trade DeMarcus Cousins, like, this was the tipping point. He picked up his 17th technical. Does he not understand? Like, it took his, his picking up his 17th technical for Vivek Ranadive. Is that how you pronounce it? Yep. God. Way but to I, go. don't, I don't think it was a technical. Uh, I, remember, I forget which, um, and I'm not going to appropriately credit the right reporters for some of this, just because there was so much coming out. Someone, someone reported that it wasn't just the technical. It was that Sacramento was able to beat Boston without Boogie. No, oh, well, that's just dumb. By the <laughs> way, uh, another wrinkle here is that Sacramento stands to be much worse the rest of the season because of this deal. Uh, Philadelphia owns a pick swap with the Kings this year from that ridiculous Nick Stauskas trade. So also you kind of have to figure in the cost here is that it's now more likely the Kings will swap picks with the, with the Sixers because the Sixers are going to finish ahead of them. Yeah, I think uh, Tom Ziller on SB Nation had... And I, I guess we're diving more into the Kings aspect when we said we wouldn't. But Tom Ziller had a great call on SB Nation that basically said you've done all these things to build around uh, DeMarcus Cousins for all these years. And that includes deferred costs like, like that pick swap and the 2019 conveyance of the, the Kings pick no matter what. Right. Um, yeah, that was a great call. Ghostface yeah. Ziller, always good. Uh, 
Uh, he knows his Sacramento Kings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, that, that poor man. Yeah, uh, we all have our uh, crosses to bear in this lifetime. Yeah. And so, anyway, from a Raptors <laughs> perspective, I'm a, I, yeah. I understand Sorry. that people look at this and like, well, wouldn't like JV Norm and a pick have been a better haul? Which, in a vacuum of asset value, probably. But JV comes with money for the next couple of years, yeah. and and JV is also. I mean, look around the Raptors fan base. He's a divisive figure. So, you know, maybe the Kings didn't love JV. Maybe they really didn't want to take money back. Uh, maybe they want to play a different style that JV doesn't necessarily fit. Uh, and then if it was just Norm, like, you could reasonably like Norm better than Buddy Heald. Um, but Norm's contract is two years shorter, uh, on top of which, you know, he's not, you know, you, you could also reasonably think that Buddy Heald has a higher ceiling. Uh, yeah. and, then, and then, as you mentioned, the expiring contracts, you'd also have to throw in, you know, Sullinger and Patterson to make that work. So, um, yeah, there's there's just it's a different type of trade than the than the Raptors could offer. Right. And, and this is before and we that, get to whether the Raptors, you know, were willing to give up multiple pieces for DeMarcus Cousins, which is a whole nother discussion. Well, it seems like a whole lot of teams in the league weren't, you know, or else it could. I mean, again, assuming we know what the Kings were thinking is. Uh, preca- a precarious position to take, but uh, it, it would seem to me that they had strange and different priorities, and a lot of it just seemed to be burning it to the ground, letting them set a new culture, and having as little committed to anybody as possible, because they obviously got nothing in return for somebody who... I mean, he has his issues, and we shouldn't gloss over those issues. They're legitimate issues. Uh, They haven't shown themselves in Team USA in in that atmosphere, but, I mean, there are, you know, 10 other alpha dogs to make him. Well, so I I have takes about Cousins' potential fit with the Raptors, and I I think one of the reasons you build a strong culture is because when an asset becomes depressed on the market like this, you're in a better position and, like, I mean, Lowry and DeRozan and Casey and Ujiri, if you're going to bring a guy like that into a locker room culture, it would seem like the Raptors are a pretty good one. I mean, just look at what they've done for Lowry um, as they've all grown yeah. together. Um, but, yeah, so... Hey, I, man, what, it was one, just a week ago, though, that Kyle Lowry was, like, questioning everything. So yeah, how- I asked Tom Sterner about it. <laughs> um. So the one thing, one no, point, I, one point I want ahead. to make about the Raptors' perspective here, um, unrelated to Cousins, but you mentioned the culture that Sacramento wants to reset. The thing about the culture there is that it, it's not just a Cousins issue. It's an issue of constant overhaul, uh, constant mismanagement, constant meddling. Vivek is a mess. Vladi seems like he's still kind of a mess. Um, you can't really separate Cousins from the Kings and the Kings from Cousins, but there's no certainty that uh, this is going to reset their culture in a positive way. The takeaway here for the Raptors is for the people who want constant change and want reactionary moves to everything and want, um, you know, can't go a day without sitting on the trade machine and stuff or or simply don't appreciate where the Raptors are in terms of organizational equity. You could always be the kings. And and it's nice to take a second and just appreciate that the Raptors are, uh, you know, a well-run organization with a cohesive message and leadership strategy and culture. And whether or not you agree with every individual move or non-move, at least there's a plan and at least there are sensible people making these plans. Uh, It could always be the Kings or the Knicks or the Nets. Yeah, and, like, to the people who 
are questioning why Masai just didn't get it done. Like, you can understand it, but again, you can understand it from, like, 23 other perspectives. Masai Ujiri is a conservative general manager, and I mean conservative in terms of pulling the trigger, maybe. Like, the Rudy Gay trade and the Andrea Bargnani trade, they just were, like, things that had to happen. They were no longer options. He's He sort of just chose to stay the course, for the most part, right up until... And here's a segue or a transition. Uh, last Tuesday? Was that the day it yeah, was? it was Tuesday, yes. Valentine's Day. Yes. Um, and that's his nature. And that will be frustrating when the Raptors go through a time like they're currently going through. Uh, and, I mean, we they haven't played in so long now that who knows how they'll be when they return. Uh, but at least, at least you know there's somebody who's going to be carefully considering, you know, all perspectives of this and not changing their mind. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago that a few days ago that the guarantee was being given to DeMarcus Cousins that he was not going to be traded. How do you think that that makes the Kings look now um, that that they all of a sudden traded him uh, and he still somehow played in the All-Star game, albeit for two minutes last night? Like, if you're making, if you're changing your mind that quickly in the NBA, uh, that's, you know, not the right place to to start like a, a cohesive worldview uh, from in terms of running an organization. And now maybe Masai is a bit too slow and careful and calculated for some people, but give me that a hundred times out of a hundred over the polar opposite, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so. We should probably talk about actual Raptors things instead of the Kings mess. Uh, as you mentioned, Tuesday, the Raptors traded Terrence Ross and the lesser of their 2017 first-round picks. Uh, that means whichever one comes later in the draft between their own and the Los Angeles Clippers to the Orlando Magic for Serge Ibaka. Before we talk about Ibaka's fit, and uh, you have been answering a lot of questions about what this means for the team, Eric, this week, uh, and you will continue to do so this week. We'll talk about those. Can we pour one out for Terrence Ross? Um... Uh, who do you think was more enigmatic, him or Bargnani? Oh, Bargnani, but that's a matter of, you know, psychology and where expectations were initially. <laughs> like, Ross only really projected as a high-end role player, not a yeah. whatever they projected Bargnani as. But he was also maybe better? Like, as, as I mean, you knew what he was, and he knew what he was, so he, he met expectations more often. Um... I, I like. I feel like enigmatic means that sometimes he delivers, and, and Bargnani's returns. I guess we're letting the last like two or three years cloud the first three or four years of Bargnani's existence, which were, you know, sort of fit that enigmatic. The definition of enigmatic. Uh, anyway, and, the, and Ross's fifty-one point game is definitely yeah. the thirteen-game stretch for Bargnani. Yeah. yeah, if we're making comparisons. Um, <laughs> Terrence Ross did things every night that amazed me in both senses of the word, you know, <laughs> like he he could, you know, read a passing lane beautifully. He could get to the lane and drop drop in a floater that had really been developing nicely this year. He could hit a three pointer or four with somebody right in his face and then miss four in a row with, you know, nobody within five feet of him. Uh the, the numbers do not back this up at all, but he was one of those players where it's like, it doesn't matter if he's covered or not. The, the ball 
has the same percentage chance of going in once he takes a shot. Uh, and again, that that is not true. But it, it just Terrence Ross exuded exuded that type of potential and frustration and and maddening inconsistency so much that it seemed like it was true. Um, he he was and you know he did some nice things for the Raptors all at all. Um, but yeah, he got them Serge Ibaka most of all. Yeah. Uh, but I think the important thing to remember, uh, uh, you know, so yes, let's pour one out for Terry. Uh, but now the Raptors have Serge Ibaka, and they also still have Patrick Patterson and Corey Joseph and Jakob Pertl and Norman Powell. So that's good. Yes. So let me ask you, before we talk Ibaka specifics, did you like the deal? I think it's a very good trade, Blake. Uh, I think... Uh, I sort of question the notion. I heard Zach Lowe talking about this on his podcast recently. And, what does that guy know? Uh, not much. He's average. Um, but uh, you know, when you when you pair as you know a slower, not plotting, but you know a center with defensive weaknesses with a power forward with defensive strengths, does it really do the two? mesh well because it's still the power forward that has to be chasing somebody around the perimeter the new nba uh but it makes the raptors so so i don't know how the abaca valanchunas fit is going to be just like how i don't know how the valanchunas anybody fit is going to be other than patterson which seems to but i think that's a fair comparable right like it, it you know once they get familiar with each other I think Valanchunas Ibaka should be about as effective as Valanchunas Patterson, which is really effective, you know? I'm not, uh, I don't have quite as much faith, I don't think, just because Ibaka Vucevic and Ibaka Cantor, you know, though we have evidence of Valanchunas-like centers playing with them, and it wasn't, yeah. you know, as good as Valanchunas Patterson, I just want to see it a little bit more. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but logically, based on, you know, what is it that Patterson does that Ibaka doesn't? Like, right. you can talk about some ephemeral communication, chemistry-type things. But I would hope that uh, those can work better in, in maybe a more structured uh, setting that the Raptors provide, even though the, def the defense has been a mess. Yeah, but I, I, to be clear, uh, look, Ibaka is not the Ibaka that he was in peak yeah. Oklahoma City years, blocking three shots a game. Uh, three-time all-defense, but part of that is that he's been asked to play more power forward, which takes him away from the rim a little bit. And part of him, look, not to not to say not to say anything of his character or you know what was going on in Orlando. I watched uh, six condensed Orlando Magic games last week on League Pass. Yeah. Okay? was not giving a hundred percent effort a uh, hundred percent of the time. So I think you know the the new life, the better fit, the better situation. Um, gearing up for a playoff run. I think the Ibaka that the Raptors are going to get is a little better than the one that was in Orlando, if not, you know, peak Ibaka still. Yeah. And I think the best reason for short-term hope about this is that, like, the combination of him and Patterson just seems like it should work so, so well from both offensive and defensive perspectives. And love Lucas Nagara, but... He was getting exposed in pick and roll situations. Like he cannot hedge off the screener without picking up a foul in the same way that Jonas Valanciunas can't. Even though 
you think he should be able to because he's he's longer and he has those arms. And and now, you know, you're not going to get Pascal Siakam playing. You're not going to get Jakob Pertl, one of the many heroes of the win over the Hornets on Wednesday, playing unless it's a blowout. You'll see them a lot in the at the 905 probably. Uh, but the front line is just going to be three pretty good players with their own strengths and then maybe a bit of Lucas Nogueira, you know? And that's, it just raises the talent level. And then you hope that Norman Powell, uh, even though the the type of production uh, will be different, uh, then Terrence Ross can uh, admirably fill in for Ross. And I think, you know, people who've watched Powell over the last uh, year and two thirds, you know, you'd have to think that that's a likely, that's a, it's a strong likelihood, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. And I, you know, your point about not playing Siakam and Pirtle and like, Bebe's been awesome, but will he, you know, Bebe has his flaws and, you know, maybe the toughness of the playoffs or whatever, you know, intangible stuff people want to throw at Bebe as a criticism. Um, so yeah, and it goes back to, you know, we had a conversation not long ago about, well, who's more important to the team, DeRozan or Patterson, when they were both out? And, you know, it's DeRozan, but the replacement level was so low at the power forward position that that impact was felt more. And now, so, you know, it's not just getting, it's not upgrading from Patterson to Ibaka, which, you know, would be a good thing still. It's upgrading from this giant hole to Ibaka, and it's giving you all these new lineup iterations where you mentioned the, the potential smaller look, which you know might have some rebounding issues, but that's a ton of spacing and defensive switchability on the floor. And you know if they they don't have to, they can still play like small small, but they don't really have to ask Demari Carroll to play the four very much anymore. And, and there are all these trickle down things where you know it, we don't use replacement level a lot in basketball, but that's kind of what Siakam was. Bless him, he's been working his ass off all year, and he you know he's one of the safest bets to bring energy at least. Uh, but right now, he's a replacement-level NBA player. So um, it's not, you know, you didn't just upgrade that position. You upgraded it almost the amount that is possible. And, you know, we, we talk about it mostly defensively. But, look, offensively, he should fit great with Lowry and DeRozan. He like shoots he, 39% on yeah. a high volume of above-the-break threes. That's, yeah. that's a, <laughs> that doesn't happen for power forwards. He's like a he's, great pick-and-pop player, and that's something – they badly need because you know maybe we have to we don't have to have as many is Patrick Patterson a bad clutch shooter conversation when he comes back. Uh, and, with- and look, even even if you know Patterson is still getting some of those looks, the Raptors love to run staggered screen and dual screen actions. And if you have like you know when you're drawing it up, you want that dive threat. You want JV or, or Bebe on the on the way to the rim. But if it's Patterson and Ibaka, you know, that opens up options, too, because the team doesn't know which guy's going to rim run and which guy's going to pop or if they're both going to pop. Or um, Creatively, when you have two shooting bigs on the floor, there's a lot you could do. And I'd imagine Nick Nurse has spent his all-star break um, just squealing in joy at what he can do with, with multiple shooting bigs. I remember talking to him in the preseason when Jared Sullinger was healthy, and the option, you know, Sullinger is nowhere near the shooter that Ibaka was. Uh, but because he could pass a little bit and because he had some semblance of shooting, Nurse was kind of licking his chops at, at the options they had on offense. So Abaka is even more. He, he can't pass anywhere near the level Sollinger can and, you know, doesn't particularly like to, it seems. But, uh, you know, that shooting opens up a ton. Yeah, I, I think any, not any concerns, but a lot of the concerns we've had about the offense lately 
they're going to significantly dissipate. dissipate. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens late in, in you know, close games still, because the Raptors have had this identity for the last however many years. And By the way, uh, DeMar DeRozan uh, missed two key shots in a close game late in the fourth quarter last night, and Jonas Valanciunas didn't play. So I'm not convinced that Dwayne Casey was not still coaching the uh, Easter Conference also. DeMar DeRozan's mid-range, I think he took like three or four mid-range jumpers, which might have been like four of like the six total mid-range jumpers that were taken in that game. Uh, they were way off last night. It was just like he kept on like hitting glass and then rim. Like it Who was, was more off, DeRozan in the All Star game or Kyle Lowry in the three point contest? Well, uh, I'd have to watch that first to uh, have an opinion. Yeah, he not good. He airballed his first ball and finished with only nine points. Yes, I know he finished last. So anyway, um, yeah, uh, I mean DeRozan found other ways to score, but if you can't find a way to score in a you know one ninety set, what was the final score one? It was a lot. It was a lot to a lot. Um, if you can't find a way to score in an all-star game, you know, something's wrong. But, I, you know, I really think this, to get back to the point, that Ibaka is going to, you know, it just makes him so much more versatile. It gets some better players on the floor more of the time. Uh, if we want to touch a little bit going into the trade deadline, it does make them thin on the wing. And I think if, you know, there's one thing left to do, uh, unless we want to, if we, if we're going all in on the Lowry, Corey Joseph, DeLon Wright lineups, you know, it'd be nice to have another, uh, wing who can hit threes and defend, but I mean, well, let's talk about that then. Cause that's the, that's the question from here. A couple of days up from the deadline, the Raptors could still make another move. Yeah. Do you think uh, the Raptors will make another move? I don't think so because the safe bet is, Again, as we said, even before they traded for Ibaka, the safe bet is to assume a trade won't happen. But they have some things to make it work. They have, you know, if they believe in DeLon Wright, they can trade Corey Joseph. They have Jared Sullinger's contract. Uh, and, you know, he's, as far as I can tell, is irrelevant to the purposes of this team anymore, uh, unless an injury happens, in which case they're probably, you know, uh, the Raptors aren't in a good way anyway. Um, and they still have their collection of young players and are now they're neutral on picks going forward. Is that Meaning correct? they have all of their own. Uh, yeah. Or at least one in every first and second round in perpetuity. Yeah. yeah. So they do, it's not like they're out of assets, which, uh, you know, trading for DeMarcus Cousins, say, uh, could have led to, except not with the Sacramento Kings in charge because they didn't want anything in return. By the way, for anyone um, playing with trade scenarios and, uh, it's not normally my favorite thing, but uh, do you? It's, it's, so how many how many mailbags have you done shooting down trade? It's an uh, annual tradition, and it's coming yeah. on Wednesday. You love doing it. I, think I don't. Love- I, I actually don't because like it gets tiring to be like, no, that's a bad deal. My point that I want to make, if anyone <laughs> is listening and is going to submit these questions. Um, that's six of them. The Raptors' second-round picks are very low value picks. You can't just throw second round picks at people. Um, it's going to come in the fifties. At that point, you're almost like players prefer to go undrafted and just sign with teams. As we saw with Fred Van Bleet. Um, you're the Raptors second round pick, at least for 2017, not particularly valuable. So, um, you know, you run into a weird situation where you have the Sullinger 
contract for salary matching if you're in the market for a P.J. Tucker, a Bogdanovich, a Swaggy P, any names like this. But you're going to run into a situation where for a rental, uh, or even if it's a guy with multiple years on his deal like a Marco Bellinelli, um, if that guy is slotting in as your fourth wing behind DeRozan, Carroll, and Powell, the role isn't exceptionally large. So a second-round pick probably isn't enough to get you that guy. But a first-round pick or giving up one of the team's prospects maybe is too rich for your blood for a rental or a guy who figures to play, you know, 10, 15 minutes a game uh, or, you know, only in spot duty. So um, that's why I bet against the deal happening because there's that chasm in value between the Raptors' assets. But, yeah, so don't throw second-round picks at everything. Yeah, but they do have assets to fully explore that market, which yes, is a good thing to be in. And uh, we don't we don't know. Maybe they think that you know a first round pick late in even a deep draft, given how many young guys they already have, uh, maybe that pick that could be twenty fifth overall this year uh, or whatever the pick ends up being, even if it's early twenties in a good draft, maybe that is worth you know the insurance of a PJ Tucker for defensive purposes or the shooting of a Swaggy P. Um, really, the the Raptors really just want to acquire Swaggy P for me um, and all the all the content gold I would get out of it. Yeah, that would uh, it would be a nice a nice gift to us all. We deserve it. But mostly for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm the only one that has fun with things. So. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like everyone else it would take a week, and then everyone would be writing him out of town because he's a goof. Yeah. I'd have fun with it. Well, as as you should. Yeah. Uh, to be clear. I included him in, like, a column I did of potential trade targets. There is almost no way Nick Young would be acquired by the Raptors because I think Dwayne Casey and Kyle Lowry would kill him. Yeah. He's been really good this year, but they would kill him. Uh, but who else are we going to ride the Terrence Ross enigmatic could-get-hot-in-three-point train with? Look, Nick Young is shooting 41% on, like, seven or eight threes a game. Yeah. And imagine, he is not as open there as he would be here. Just imagine that bench lineup of, like, Kyle, uh, Norm Powell, Nick Young, Patterson, Ibaka. They'd score, like, 125 points per 100. I just realized that a Norman Powell-Nick Young relationship would be the greatest thing ever. Nick Young would spend the entire remainder of the season trying to get Norm to smile once. <laughs> and it would just never happen. It would be it would be a great running subplot. Yeah, we uh we need this to happen. Get it done, Masai. Anyway, I just threw some names out there. Are there are there any other names that have uh, caught your interest or that I didn't include when I just vomited up a bunch? No, those are sort of the ones I'm looking on. You know, PJ Tucker is interesting to me because he's on he is on an expiring contract, I believe. And I wish he could shoot a little better though. Yeah, and he does provide that. You know, break it glass in case of emergency perimeter defense, which I can still seeing being necessary. And look, uh, the Raptors wanted to get tougher with the Serge Ibaka acquisition. PJ yeah. Tucker fits the bill, man. That's, yeah, that's hard defense across three positions. Yeah. Um, so that's also, the, that's sorry, the one was... that, that's the one that's been maybe the most interesting to me, despite his lack of shooting. Because I still, you know, as I'm trying to, as I'm trying to you know, see what weaknesses this team has, and they have many. It's still the perimeter defense that concerns me, assuming DeLon Wright is not all of a sudden the answer. Yeah, and, it, you know, the shooting the shooting is a concern to an extent, but also 
you know, if you have two shooting bigs on the floor, you know, we saw it, we saw the Raptors used to do it with Patterson and James Johnson when they played together, and those lineups were always effective, and they basically just inverted things on offense. Yeah. Like you put the shooter on the outside, and the non-shooter um, becomes a de facto big, and Tucker's strong enough to, you know, play the four role. Um, one other name that I know people are going to ask about, uh, because the Kings are tearing down, Aaron Aflalo. A lot of money on Aaron Aflalo, so you're probably having to send out two contracts which means you know a, a Joseph or a Patterson is maybe included or multiple prospects uh, at this point with a Flalo, what he is, the role he'd play, the money he's still owed. I can't imagine that's the guy they would send multiple assets out for. The Kings yeah. are tearing down; they just have nothing really of value to offer. So, but they could put out like an all Compton wing combination. So that'd be something. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be something. Kendrick Lamar would just have to field this. Her game ops would get on playing a lot of Kendrick. I just got Good Kid, Mad City on vinyl yesterday. Um, it's awesome. That album is just so good. Good record. Yeah. yeah. That's your hot, hot take. take. Kendrick Lamar, <laughs> awesome. Oh, more. This is essential, mind blowing stuff. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a hot take to follow it up. The Kings deal was bad, and Kendrick Lamar is good. <laughs> All this and more on Raptors Reasonablists. Um, yeah. Is there anything else, uh, Abaka-related or Fallout or Deadline, that uh, we you wanted to get in here before I let you go and enjoy your family day? Uh, no, not really. I've been, as you mentioned, I've been writing about it on The Athletic. Uh, I will continue to do it for one or two more days. It's just and it's a sort of trickle-down effect that is most interesting to me because for... You know, since the Rudy Gay trade happened, the core and, you know, the Damari Carroll signing, the core of this team and the minutes distribution has been pretty consistent. And this is the first thing in a while that uh, really, really, really changes the outlook. And and we didn't think long term. Uh, we didn't talk long term on this podcast. That also will obviously be interesting with Lowry, Ibaka and Patterson all free agents uh, at the end of the season, but it's sort of, I mean, you could think about it, but until we know how this plays out this year, uh, we're limited in being able to sort of judge whether, you know, how, whether it might be worth keeping together and going way over the tax or moving a piece like Valanchunas or Damari Carroll or Corey Joseph or whoever it might be to, you know, keep the band together and keep running out the Lowry, DeRozan, Casey, Ujiri, core, uh, no matter what the cost. One more follow from the Serge Ibaka trade. Uh, yes. And I meant to lead off the podcast with this. Uh, so hopefully everyone kept listening. We had been plugging a live recording of the Raptors Reasonableist podcast on Wednesday at Bar Homestand. Uh, that is canceled, or not canceled, postponed uh, to a date to be determined in the future. That's why you're getting this podcast instead of one later in the week live from uh, that venue. The reason being, uh, the Raptors come back off the All-Star break Wednesday and will, Serge Ibaka will have his first practice with the team that evening. Uh, so Eric and I are going to be tied up with practice and Serge Ibaka duties. Um, if the Raptors were to make another trade or Tuesday or Wednesday, it would stand to reason that Masai Ujiri would speak to media at that point as well. Um, so we can't, in good conscience, both be uh, doing a live recording of the podcast when important Raptor things are going down. So uh, I emailed everyone who had already RSVP'd and explained and, and let you know uh, we'll also email you when uh, we reschedule and find a time in the future. But that is coming eventually. Apologies for any inconvenience. But uh, you got Serge Ibaka 
out of it. I would much rather have Serge Ibaka on the Raptors than to listen to Eric and I, even live, in person. Eric, yeah, that, yeah. That, uh, that's a fair take. Uh, uh, sorry. Okay. We are looking forward to doing that, and uh, we'll do our best to make it up to you in the not-too-distant future. All right, Eric. Uh, enjoy the remainder of your family day. Happy family day, brother. If only to be a reasonable man.